0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support.
1: I put my humanness into my theology. And when the Lord started to allow things, incredible suffering to occur, my theology started to crumble.
0: She has a name well-known in the evangelical community, the daughter of Pastor Chuck Swindoll, Colleen Swindall thompson today talks about the trauma she has experienced in her life, physical, mental, and the challenges of raising a special needs child. This is Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. And now let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul. Hey, so glad you've joined us on Life Support. What we do here is we tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ Who often emerges in a brand new way through suffering and trauma And so we're so glad you're here And I'm so glad to have a very special guest today Colleen Swindoll-Thompson is with us from beautiful Texas How you doing, Colleen? Thank you so much for joining us, it's very much appreciated
1: I'm honored to do this with you, thank you
0: Now, is Texas still a state or have they become a new country yet?
1: Um, You know, it could change at any moment, because in Texas, you never know.
0: (laughs) But as of today, you're still with us. I'm sorry? As of today, you're still with us, though. Texas is still with us. That's I
1: know for today.
0: Um, So on your website, in your ministry, Reframing Ministries, which, of course, we want to talk about as we go along, there's a paragraph there. For all who have ventured through domestic abuse, parenting a child with multiple disabilities, identity theft, medical mayhem, difficult divorce, betrayal from trusted Christians. And I'm thinking to myself, how are you still standing with all the things you've gone through? You've got quite a journey.
1: I have some great surgeons because I've had 10 surgeries in 10 years and now have two more coming up. Um, And I cling to Jesus, honestly. There are days that it's hard to keep going on. But because of what he's brought me through, um, I, I have a passion to encourage others who are going through the trenches. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I talk um, on subjects that are hard.
0: Good for you. Now, in your name, we have to at least touch on this. There's the name Swindoll there. And uh, that's going to ring a bell with quite a few people. And so tell us about how you relate to the Swindoll that we all have become familiar with, and maybe even what it was like growing up as his daughter. Because pastor's kids have one thing, and you had it amplified, I'm sure.
1: Well, what's interesting, I think, is that, yes, a lot of pastor's kids can go nuts, but the benefit and the joy that I had was being raised by my dad, Chuck who uh, started Insight for Living 40 years ago, or 42 years ago, I think it was now. But before that, as a child of a pastor, I didn't know any different. So he allowed us to be who we are, which is why he wrote The Grace Awakening, because he raised me. Um, but it just it was a very wonderful, unusually so, experience for a lot of pastors' kids that I've talked to. So he allowed us to be who we are, and um, I'm I'm so thankful for that. Hmm.
0: As I was watching a video on your website about your story, uh, one of the things that really caught me was what you've been through with one of your children that you highlighted in that video. And um, I've been through the loss of a child, and one of the things you were talking about was I prayed and prayed and prayed for my child, And then all of a sudden things happened, and I couldn't understand why God would let that happen. Can you kind of backtrack a little bit and tell us that part of your story to begin our time together today?
1: Sure. So having come from a Christian home where I had a great experience at church, it was easy to believe that if I do my part, then the Lord will do His part, which is the human expectation that we place on the Lord. And as my dad has often said, the Lord gets blamed for a lot of things he's not responsible for. But I had a very formulated kind of thinking in what Christianity meant. If I'm obedient, if I, if I do these right things, then, then the Lord rewards that. And for sure, he does reward that. It doesn't mean that it's going to be on this side of heaven or that it's going to happen when we think it will or even what kind of reward that will look like, because the Lord is, he's so, he's unfathomable. And so I put my humanness into my theology. And when the Lord started to allow things, incredible suffering to occur, my theology started to crumble. Why, Lord, wouldn't you allow these things to happen when I'm working so hard? And there isn't a place in scripture where the Lord says, if you do this and this, then you're going to be really, really happy on the side of heaven. We will be fulfilled in our obedience, but it doesn't always mean we're going to have the feeling of happiness. And that's really, really challenging for a lot of us.
0: It is very challenging, and it takes time to work through that because we're taught that from a very early age. Um, And one of the messages I have for young families in my church, Ridgewood Church, is, you know, don't expect A plus B to equal C. But, of course, they're young. I hate
1: that. I know. (laughs) You're exactly right.
0: I know. But so what exactly happened, Colleen? What, What happened in your family that began that journey?
1: Where do I begin with this? Specifically with John, my son with disabilities? Okay. So John is my third born and I'd had two very, what we would call typical babies and was bringing a third one into the world and never, ever anticipated. Of course, people don't anticipate having a child with disabilities when they're carrying them. And yet everything was normal in the pregnancy and in the delivery And when he was born, I just thought, there's just something not right. He's crying all the time. He's allergic to everything. He's throwing stuff up. And we soon learned that he had an immune system disorder, that he had severe asthma and allergies. And that led into a treadmill of doctor's appointments, medications, hospitalizations. At one point, the doctor said, I'm not sure he's going to live through the night. And a parent just isn't prepared to hear that. That's, that's um, not in any of the parenting books. And as James talks about, James chapter one, it starts off with, we're going to suffer in this world. We will go through times of suffering. And that's a suffering experience, having a child diagnosed with a lifelong disability. And one disability turned into two, which turned into ten. He regressed. We had all kinds of events that happened. He was bullied in school because he was small, had autism and intellectual disability as well. Then regressed severely when he was seven and a half to eight years old. And that's really when my faith started to come apart because I had a marriage that was coming apart. And my two older kids, I'm juggling these three kids, they all have needs, and Jonathan's needs are excessive and intense and so i just began to say lord i've taken him to every therapy i've been as responsible as i know to be if there's one word that i was raised with is to be responsible and i was um and when he regressed i have to say i just i told the lord i am so done i can't do this anymore i don't believe that you're good I don't believe that you're right and fair. Um, And the good thing is he already knew that I was feeling that. So it was okay to say it. And when we get really, really honest with the Lord in our experiences, it changes our relationship with him. And so that was the beginning of changing my relationship with Jesus Christ. It was also the ending of some things that I never expected going through a divorce and moving across the country and being a single parent, having some physical pain that started um, as a result of other issues. So that's where we were when we got here in 2007, and I started the Special Needs Ministry at Insight for Living, Um, and was so excited to do that because I had walked through so much of this alone. I had experienced church with a son with disabilities as being more hostile, distant, not knowing what to do, where do we put this kid that that is so different so he really was one of the first like autism in 1997 98 wasn't really talked about one in ten thousand. now it's more common but it's bigger than autism this is about what the lord allows into our lives that we don't expect that is really really hard and uh, we want to uh, and it, it is a battle. It's hard. And John 10, 10 is right. The enemy is out to steal, to kill, and destroy. And when we become so weary in doing and don't have that connection of being with Jesus and just saying, I can't. I know you love me whether I do all these things or not. That's when we start to grow in a relationship with him.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Colleen Swindell Thompson is my guest. And we're talking about her story. We're talking about reframing ministries, which she just alluded to. And Colleen, you, um, with your son, you had to watch him suffer as well. It wasn't just your suffering. And I, as a parent, to think of our own children going through that kind of pain, for me at least, it makes it even harder to trust God. It's one thing for me, yeah, bring it on. You know, I'll, I can handle it. Don't touch my kids. And why are you touching my kids, God? And how hard was it to watch your
1: son go through all of that? Oh, it it was, it was awful. In fact, now that we're learning more and more about trauma, most caregivers have what's called complex PTSD or secondary trauma because his asthma, they had to suction his lungs, which means they stick a tube up the nose, and down into the lungs to suction all this stuff out so he can breathe. And that had to be done repeatedly. Well, I had had that experience myself and I knew what that felt like when that tube gets shoved up your nose, you feel like your brain will explode. And thinking that my son at age um, 12, 13 months was having that done, I sat in the waiting room and I would bawl and think of all the things a parent is to do it's to protect provide attach connect and be provide a home of safety and that was so um terrifying terrifying for him terrifying for me and we saw the results of that come out later on it was awful yeah
0: i can relate to that somewhat when my when my son was shot and killed i was away um and i had to i couldn't get back right away i had to catch a flight and It was an illogical thought completely because he was in a morgue, but he was alone. And so as a parent, I'm going, I can't leave my child alone. Why are you letting him be alone? And then as I worked through it and began, you know, my theology began to kind of reemerge, I realized that he really wasn't ever alone. But that feeling as a parent is just horrific, especially when you're helpless to do anything about it, right?
1: I, I'm so sorry that that happened, first of all. Um, and that never goes away from your heart. Right. Um, I think that we can either – it, I heard a study the other day that was done by a teacher, and they had an egg and a carrot. And she put the egg in boiling water, and then she put the carrot in boiling water and took it out. And she said, here's what happens. When, when life heats up, when the boiling point is really high, you can either become like the egg and get hardened, or you can become like the carrot and become soft. And I think part of suffering and God's design in that is to remind us that he is there, that he is all-powerful, and we have a choice to make we can become hardened which i have done in the past and sometimes struggle with still when the when the water gets hot but i really want to be soft in my heart because that's how we connect with each other so yeah that that feeling of being alone and not being able to protect what i clung to was realizing jesus was god's only son and god saw him On earth, they were separate. Like you just said, he's alone. Suffer his whole life here. Saw him humiliated, stripped, beaten, repeatedly, bullied, made fun of. There's not a thing that, as he tells us, there's nothing that we go through that he doesn't understand. He went through all the things that my own son had to endure. And yet I didn't have to watch that. I wasn't present. I didn't know until he came back. But for me, what my saving grace was to remember that God's only son was here, sent by loving God because I needed grace for eternal life. And that's how huge His love is. I could never do that with my kids. I don't understand that kind of love. But that's the kind of love that I cling to when I can't make logical sense of the suffering that children or that people go through in this world. There is pain everywhere, but we have a God who understands that pain.
0: Yeah, amen to that. And I think we underplay that sometimes because we, we've we sort of, um, I think, painted over the, the suffering on the cross and made it kind of, it is a wonderful symbol, but we always see it with, you know, beautiful clouds behind it and these wonderful sunset photos of the three crosses and, and what happened on that cross was horrific. And then you, you think about the Trinitarian relationship that had been unhindered for all of eternity and all of a sudden the father can't even look at his son because of our sin. It's an amazing story. The gospel is simple but it's profound at the same time and it does bring hope. Because there's nothing you're feeling like you. I loved what you said, Colleen, about just come to God with what you're feeling. And and I think so many believers are just afraid to pour their hearts out to Him, thinking they're going to offend Him.
1: But He already knows. He already knows it all. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows exactly what we're thinking. And as we do in human relationships, hopefully in a healthy relationship where there's the safety to, work things out and work through them. We talk them through. So why don't we do that with our Lord who loves us with an, a perfect love and has a plan that is better than we can imagine. Not always easy, but I will tell you on this side of a lot of the tragedies that I've endured, I have, I have the relationship with Jesus, a relationship with my family. I would not have had without, all the things that he allowed, I hated it at the time, and it, I think it's kind of weird to say, "Oh, well, I love suffering." <laughs> I, I don't want
0: to say that, yeah,
1: so yeah, there's a sense of um I think we sometimes elevate our humanity and we minimi- minimize God's sovereignty, and we need to remember that we are human, and he is our creator. He's a lot bigger than we are, and we just need to run to him.
0: But that message isn't necessarily popular in today's church. People don't necessarily want to talk about suffering. They don't really want to. They don't really want to discuss life as being hard. They 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 they're looking for. I don't want to say easy Christianity, but we're certainly not dwelling a lot on the suffering part. And maybe we shouldn't dwell on that. But what I found in my own life on the dark nights when there's no sleep night after night after night, that's when the Lord emerges in a way that he had never emerged before. And my relationship with him just deepened, deepened, and deepened through the struggles that you're talking about. And my fear for the evangelical world is that we're going to just breeze past suffering as a tool of God. And when hard things come into our life, we're going to miss... God in it. Because we we just get busy, we buy stuff, we go places, we try to fill our souls up with other things. How hard was it just to sit still, Colleen, and let God do that work in your heart?
1: Um, I didn't sit still for a long time because I thought I needed to do the responsible thing. And there is a balance between being responsible for sure uh, with what the Lord has put on your plate, but also going Lord, I need, I need soul care. I need soul rest. In fact, um, it is interesting that the church, I read a study the other day of pastors when they were asked, would they preach on gossip and sin or would they preach on trauma and abuse? Like how many times are those two subjects in their sermons? And across the board, they would rather talk about gossip than about domestic violence and trauma or death and suffering. Yeah, those are ugly ugly topics. But there's a way to have the conversation and present the message and the truth that suffering is purposed to refine us, to carve our souls. In fact, I don't remember who it was who asked how did how was the stone of David carved? And he said, I just looked at the piece of marble and took away everything that wasn't David. Well, Jesus does that with our suffering. He takes away the things that we are clinging to, which a lot of times is control or an identity issue, or we wanna look good, we wanna appear whatever. And yet that's not having our identity in Christ, it's our identity in self. So, you no, know, suffering isn't a popular topic, although my dad was told. As he started his ministry years ago, if you preach to the suffering, you'll never have an empty seat. So my lot is, can we just normalize the conversation? Yes, there's gossip in the church. Yes, there's, there's horrible things that are hard to deal with in the church. And that also includes things like trauma and violence and death and loss of children and divorce and messy stuff. Can we walk with each other together instead of avoiding it all together?
0: Yeah. Tell me about reframing ministries, Colleen, and what you do there.
1: So, <clears throat> excuse me, reframing really emerged out of special needs. When I started the special needs um, program through Insight, I realized there are special needs just as in for a kid who has autism and is under age five. A special need is created when we go through an experience that is beyond our ability to cope, that, that goes beyond the structures that we currently have in place to survive. And it brings us to our knees. And when I started to realize that, I also realized I'm having a lot of physical issues. I was in a car accident, broke my neck, have had two back surgeries. And it's been through those times of being literally on my back going, Lord, the pain is so great. I cannot, I don't want to keep living it so, so painful. And that's really how reframing emerged, which is somewhat like a do-it-yourself concept, which is opposite of what we do in this world because we trust Jesus. But when the Lord steps in and we allow him to have control and be sovereign in our lives and we are surrendered, the process goes from being ruined. It's a three-step process. I spell out the word reframing. And ruin when they, in a do-it-yourself situation or the house situation, where they come in and, and clear everything out of the house, I've never seen a person on TV go, that's such a bummer. They took out my ugly kitchen. (laughs) They're like, get it all out of there. Well, that's similar to what happens when our lives are falling apart. The Lord is saying, I'm getting stuff out that you may not even see that needs to be out of here because in its place, then the process of going through, um, it's ruined. And then I forget the middle one. I'm trying to remember it right now. Um, the restoration process, restoration, and then renewed. When we are renewed, when we have gone through, like you said, the death of your son and been completely flat out, I can't go on, Lord. That's a place of being ruined and it's messy. But then, as you said, slowly and and surely, as we get honest with God, he's restoring our hearts. He's putting new things in, like they put new furniture in, a new kitchen, a new, the room looks beautiful, but you notice it takes a team. You can't do it on your own That's part of reframing ministries. And then the renewed process is now that, as in 2 Corinthians 1 says, from the comfort that you were given or that I received, as Paul's writing about his own trials, he says, from the comfort I got from the Lord, then I was able to comfort others. We can't give to others what we don't have in ourselves. So by stepping into our own tragedies and allowing God to carve away those marble places that we are clinging to, and then he gives us himself, his word, we meet new people, we create new mechanisms to cope better. And that comfort then brings us to other people who are longing for hope so that's really the reframing process we're all in it at some point some areas of my life i'm still going through some ruined stages because i'm human and then other areas like today where i get to talk about this giving people hope that's the renewed part so that's how reframing came together from really falling apart physically spiritually emotionally and then having the lord put me back together again
0: and don't forget we're talking about suffering we're talking about God's work in our lives. Deuteronomy 3.22 Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Not just stand with you. Not just kind of be there. But he will fight for you. So you're not alone. And if something has rung a bell with you today, please reach out. Get help. Talk about it. Don't hold it inside. There are others that will be able to identify with you. Thanks again for listening today. I want to thank Faith Radio and Five Stone Media, and we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support.